welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the Feast of the Holy Family. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who are pleased to give us the shining example of the Holy Family, graciously grant that we may imitate them in practising the virtues of family life and in the bonds of charity. And so, in the joy of your house, delight one day in eternal rewards. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. The word of the Lord was spoken to Abram in a vision. Have no fear, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. My Lord, Abram replied, what do you intend to give me? I go childless. Then Abram said, see, you have given me no descendants. Some man of my household will be my heir. And then this word of the Lord was spoken to him. He shall not be your heir. Your heir shall be of your own flesh and blood. Then taking him outside, he said, Look up to heaven and count the stars if you can. Such will be your descendants, he told him. Abram put his faith in the Lord, who counted this as making him justified. The Lord dealt kindly with Sarah as he had said and did what he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the time God had promised. Abraham named the son born to him Isaac, the son to whom Sarah had given birth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Happy are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Happy are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. O blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. By the labor of your hands you shall eat, you will be happy and prosper. Happy are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the heart of your house, your children like shoots of the olive around your table. Happy are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Indeed, thus shall be blessed the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. Happy are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians. You are God's chosen race, his saints. He loves you, and you should be clothed in sincere compassion, in kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with one another, forgive each other as soon as a quarrel begins. The Lord has forgiven you, now you must do the same. Over all these clothes, to keep them together and complete them, put on love. And may the peace of Christ reign in your hearts, because it is for this that you were called together as parts of one body. Always be thankful. Let the message of Christ in all its richness find a home with you. Teach each other and advise each other in all wisdom. With gratitude, In your hearts sing psalms and hymns and inspired songs to God. And never say or do anything except in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Now he speaks to us through his Son. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When the day came for them to be purified, as laid down by the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, observing what stands written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male must be consecrated to the Lord, and also to offer in sacrifice, in accordance with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, in Jerusalem, there was a man named Simeon. He was an upright and devout man. He looked forward to Israel's comforting, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had set eyes on the Christ of the Lord. Prompted by the Spirit, he came to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the law required, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Master, you can let your servant go in peace, just as you promised. Because my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all nations to see, a light to enlighten the pagans and the glory of your people Israel. As the child's father and mother stood there, wondering at the things that were being said about him, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, You see this child? He is destined for the fall and for the rising of many in Israel, destined to be a sign that is rejected, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, so that the secret thoughts of many may be laid bare. There was a prophetess also, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well on in years. Her days of girlhood over, she had been married for seven years before becoming a widow. She was now 84 years old and never left the temple, serving God day and night with fasting and prayer. She came by just at that moment and began to praise God, and she spoke of the child to all who looked forward to the deliverance of Jerusalem. When they had done everything the law of the Lord required, they went back to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Meanwhile, the child grew to maturity, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's favour was with him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Goodness me, there's so much to be said about this great feast day, the Feast of the Holy Family. I mean, we're all still buzzing from Christmas, um, and so it seems really appropriate that we look at Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Um, and, you know, the church's prayers uh, during the Mass and the presentation of the readings really puts the Holy Family forward as an example to imitate. And I suppose in some ways it's a little bit rough to say, well, we've got to imitate the Holy Family because, I mean, you know, like Jesus is God and, um, you know, Mary's conceived without sin. So, you know, in what sense are they actually a typical family? Actually, to be perfectly honest, I do feel a little bit for St. Joseph because, you know, basically if anything went wrong, it had to be his fault, surely. <laughs> but while we see the Holy Family as, as exceptional in so many ways, the picture that's presented of them in the gospel, um, presenting Jesus in the temple, is anything but extraordinary. They're doing what Jews do. They're being faithful to God. 
And, you know, at the end of the gospel, we have this rather beautiful little phrase. It says, When they had done everything the law of the law required, they went back to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And meanwhile, the child grew to maturity and he was filled with wisdom and God's favour was with him. I mean, certainly an extraordinary family, made extraordinary and holy by means of, you know, God's grace, the fact of Jesus' incarnation, the fact of Mary's immaculate conception, but doing things in a very ordinary way. In fact, so much so, the only ones who really spot the exceptional nature of this family is Simeon and Anna. You needed prophets to be able to see what God was doing in this family. So while there's something really extraordinary about them, there's also something really ordinary. And I think it's in this ordinariness that they become an example for us. The pattern of a holy family. So let's take a bit of a look at the gospel, the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And, you know, the first thing that we hear is that, you know, there really is nothing extraordinary about it. That Mary and Joseph are fulfilling the requirements of the law of Moses. They needed to redeem their firstborn male by dedicating him to the Lord. And in addition to making this presentation, this this consecration of their son, uh, they also offer the sacrifice of purification. That 40 days after the birth of a boy, Mary and Joseph needed to be purified by means of offering this sacrifice. Now, curiously, St. Luke mentions that the law allows for two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, ordinarily, it should be a lamb. But if you're not well off, if you can't afford a lamb, then two turtle doves, two young pigeons, that'll be enough. So kind of apart from the stable, um, here's the uh, real indication that the Holy Family, uh, they're not people of means. They're the ones who offer the sacrifice of the poor. Uh, I think there's something especially beautiful about that, that the holiest sacrifice is not the one that is most extravagant, but the one that is made with the most devotion and love. But anyway... The journey from Bethlehem to the temple in Jerusalem, it's, it's not far. It's actually really close. And the sight of the two parents coming with their child really wouldn't have drawn any attention. It, it, it's a fairly normal thing to happen. Um, you know, it's a, I mean, if you use it as a bit of an equivalent, it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, a family comes to the parish for a baptism. You know, nothing out of the ordinary there. And yet, this is in fact an incredible moment. Because here, Jesus, God made man, the presence of God among us, enters into the temple of Jerusalem. Now, I've mentioned this a little bit before, but just as a quick little summary, the temple was an extremely important place for the Jewish people. When God freed Israel from slavery in Egypt through the hand of Moses, right, the people were left with a holy sign of God's covenant with them. Two stone tablets were inscribed with the Ten Commandments, and they were inscribed by the very finger of God. And these Ten Commandments were known in Israelite tradition as the Ten Words. We call them commandments, but in actual fact, you know, they they refer to them as the Ten Words. So Israel was in possession of this Word of God written by God's very own hand in stone. And these tablets were the holiest and most tangible sign of God's presence and the covenant with his people. And so these two tablets of the ten words were placed in a richly adorned golden vessel 
that was called the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark accompanied Israel as the 12 tribes wandered in the desert, liberated from slavery in Egypt. And the Ark of the Covenant was housed in a tent near the Israelite camp, since God was, you know, indeed amongst his people. And this tent of meeting had a special name. In, in Hebrew, it was called the tabernacle, because this was the dwelling place of God. Now, stick with me here. We're skipping along a bit of uh, Israelite history because, you know, once Israel arrived in the promised land, the idea developed that the tent of meeting should be made permanent. Uh, And so according to God's instructions, the temple is built in Jerusalem by King Solomon. Uh, And the Ark of the Covenant then is kept in the Holy of Holies. And so the temple became the dwelling place of God. We've gone from, you know, like an impermanent tent of meeting to the temple itself, and at the very heart of the temple is the sanctuary, and at the heart of the sanctuary is the Holy of Holies. The real dwelling place of God, the place of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, when the Jews were conquered by the Babylonians in the 6th century BC, they entered the holy city of Jerusalem and destroyed the most extravagant temple which was built by Solomon. And most devastatingly for the kingdom of Judah was the loss of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark and the tablets were both lost and never recovered. And even though the temple was rebuilt after the Jews returned from exile 70 years later, the Ark of the Covenant, it's never found. And the thing is, like, this is a truly devastating moment from which the Jews really struggled to recover. Because now the Holy of Holies actually speaks of an emptiness. But there's an expectation that God would come once more. Listen to what it says in the prophet Malachi. The Lord God says this, The Lord you are seeking will suddenly enter his temple. And the angel of the covenant whom you are longing for, yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, in the moment of the presentation, the Lord Jesus, carried by his mother Mary, enters the temple in Jerusalem for the first time. And this is an incredible moment because at long last, the true word of God has entered into the temple of Jerusalem. You see, remember, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the word written on stone by God himself was really just a prefiguring of Jesus, who is the eternal word written by the finger of God in flesh. And so Jesus now is the definitive sign that God is dwelling among his people. Now, Use your imagination. Picture Mary cradling her 40-day-old son, walking quietly in amongst the crowd, and yet Mary carrying the word made flesh shows herself in this moment to be the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark was the one who... Remember the Ark was the golden vessel which carried the ten words of God. Now we see the Ark of the Covenant carrying the word made flesh, returning to the temple. And suddenly the words of the prophet Malachi find a very surprising fulfillment. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly enter his temple and the angel of the covenant whom you are longing for, yes, he is coming. This entry into the temple is so quiet that only Simeon and Anna 
notice this great moment. The longed-for Messiah is here. God is coming to his temple so that we might be drawn into intimate union with him. And so Simeon prophesies with a, a kind of sigh of relief that comes from the heart of the nation of Israel. Now, Master, you can let your servant go in peace just as you promised. Because my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all the nations to see, a light to enlighten the pagans and the glory of your people, Israel. It's such a profound and spectacular moment, and yet it happens in such obscurity, such subtlety. And so we get a kind of echo of what happened on Christmas Day, when we heard that the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us when we heard that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem is a sign of God's great desire to dwell with his people, to be among us, that he is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. When he's entering into the temple, we see the great desire that God has to be with us. But I think it's not an insignificant fact that this great blessing passes by way of the family. God enters into the world through Joseph and Mary. He enters into his temple carried in their arms. And so it seems to me that the family really is the unique place of God's great blessing. And the place where God's will is accomplished and extraordinary things are brought about in such an ordinary and subtle way. So much so that sometimes you just need a prophet to figure out what God is accomplishing and the grandeur of what's happening in everyday life. So how about this? Let's see in Jesus' presentation in the temple the great sign of God wanting to dwell among his people, to be truly present to them. And let us welcome him into the holy place that is our family. But secondly... Let's consecrate to him our everyday, the mundane, so that in his quiet, gentle, subtle way, extraordinary things may happen through our ordinary and holy families. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day, may give glory to God the Father.